0: So we're looking at um, a section of chapter 2 and then a section of chapter 4 of Philippians today. Um, so we're kind of doing like this little brief interlude, looking at um, some examples. But what we have been doing already is looking through um, chapter 1, Philippians, where Paul has been focusing on unity, humility, and holiness. Essentially, he is saying this is what it means to be like Christ. That's that's what he's just been t- telling these Philippians. These are the things, this is what it looks means to look like Christ. And so in these two passages that we're going to look at today, we are going to look at these examples of um, people who do and do not pursue unity and humility and holiness. And then how do we practically apply that to our lives? Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at today. So this reminds me of a couple of weeks ago, uh, my girls they both were doing ballet recitals. And in the ballet recital world, hair is like a very important part of it okay and so the week leading up to the recital you have your dress rehearsals and your the girls have to show up um you know with all their hair and makeup and everything done just right and at my girls studio um there's this thing that they do where you know after you perform and all the parents are watching and the director will will walk up to a, a child and be like now everybody look at her hair this is what it needs to look like and You'll look, and, like, a handful of girls, their hair looks like that, and then there's, like, a bunch of girls whose hair like, does not look like that, you know? <laughs> and it's not it's not to shame them. It's just to say, this is what you need to do by Saturday, right? And so, like, I, some of y'all are like, you you know, you know, you've been there. You have either, like, felt the shame of, like, not getting it quite right or they're like, I, I got it right, you know? Um, and so by this last time when we did it, by the time we got to the third – so my girls had three dress rehearsals, okay? So um, by the time, like, I, I did not do well with the first one, okay? <laughs> uh, the second one, it was like, okay, you know, and then I start to YouTube it, like, figure it out. Like, I'm like, I got it, you know? And so but by the third time, Belle, Belle has her hair all done. Coincidentally, it's the same class that she does with Maggie Connolly. So Ben and Jess are there as well so we get out of the car and they uh, everybody knows like this is already a thing you know like they know that like someone is going to get called out you know and so uh we we get out of the car and Ben and Jess are like her hair looks good do you you think you're gonna get called out and I was like I hope so like (laughs) this is my third time (laughs) like I really want to be called out and so they're like joking about it you know we go in they do their dance the director calls calls Belle out but like really we all know it's you know it's for the mom like it's not like her hair looks great but like she's really complimenting the mom right and so yeah. and so the director like goes up to Belle and is like this is how her hair should look and I'm like trying to be cool you know like that's cool. Ben and Jess and all like they call it, she called you out. Like you, you know? Like no, no like we are like not cool at all about it, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm trying to like just like receive this, you know, but um we're like I'm just sitting there equally proud and embarrassed, you know, at this point. But anyway, um, you know, it's a goofy, silly thing to get called out on, but it like we all have had those experiences for better or for worse when we've gotten called out. Um, And so in these passages today, that's really what we're looking at. There's several name drops um, that happen, several call outs. And I think if you read this passage before, and we'll read it again in just a minute. But if you read this passage before you came today, um, you might have just kind of skimmed right through this. And I think when we do that, we forget a couple of things. We forget that these are real people, um, that these aren't just uh, characters in a story. These are real people. And then also that this is a letter that is being read together with a bunch of people. So these names that are being called out, the people are there and they're around others that are hearing it as well. Um, so we're gonna just park it with these folks today. And what I want us to do is see their humanity. And i want to ask God to show us what he has for us to learn from these examples. There's lots of human emotion going on in this passage. There's joy and there's relief and there's celebration, but there's also conflict Um, there's also, um, human, like we see like humans prone to worry, to anxiety. And so we see a bunch of different things, a bunch of different emotions happening. And so what I want us to consider is how do we express our humanity in light of the cross and in light of the empty tomb? What does it look like to actually live faithful lives, to actually pursue humility and unity? So with that, I want to read our first chunk, which is, we're going to start in Philippians 2. I'm going to read um, 19 through 30. And I'm in the NIV. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So what's going on here? Um, At first, this just reads like a news update. Paul says some nice things about two of these men, and he announces their return travel plans. Remember, Paul is in jail, and he relies on others to care for him, to provide um, food and water. He is at the mercy of family and friends to take care of him. So the Philippians hear about that, and here we find out they've collected money, and they send Epaphroditus, who gets sick along the way. And the Philippians are in the dark. You know, this isn't today, present time. Like, they don't know what is going on. Um, They don't know if the money made it to Paul. They don't know if their friend is alive. Uh, They don't know what happened. So here's Paul giving them an update. Everything's okay. And here's the plan moving forward. So we know that Paul has been using this letter to call the Philippians to a life of unity and humility. He's casting vision for the church to live that life of unity and humility. And so he takes advantage of this news update and uses it as a chance to call out Timothy and to call out Epaphroditus. And he declares them both worthy of honor and respect. So let's look at Timothy first. Timothy was there when the Philippian church began. Paul loves Timothy. They had this father-son mentorship role, and Timothy is staying with Paul until they find out what's going to happen with his trial. So Timothy didn't return. Timothy's with Paul. And here's what Timothy's called out for, though. He's called out for having a genuine interest in their well-being. Paul is saying that Timothy takes a genuine, authentic concern for you, Philippians, and your well-being, not his own agenda. Paul says everyone else is looking out for themselves, but Timothy is looking out for the interest of Jesus. So to put it another way, to serve Jesus and to serve his people go hand in hand. That's essentially what Paul is saying. To care for the church is to care for Jesus. And we have forgotten this because we kind of think we have this mentality of like, well, I love Jesus, but I'm really tired of the church. And you don't get to pick. You don't get to choose, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to love Jesus, but I'm not going to care for the church. I'm not going to love the people of God. We don't get to make that choice. If you're a Christian, you belong to the church, whether you want to or not, whether you like it or not, you're part of the church. And what Paul is reminding us is that when you serve Jesus, you serve his people, you love his people. So Paul's holding up Timothy as an example of this attitude that he's been urging the Philippians to adopt, to imitate Christ's humility. Through the gospel, through Christ, learn and practice the art of putting others before yourself. This is what Paul is declaring. This is good. Yes. Do like Timothy did. So many people don't live this way. And I bet probably a lot of us in here as parents, we're like, we say that all the time. Think of others. Don't just think of yourself. But like also that we need to hear that too. You know, that's not just for our children. That's for us as well. Um, So many people like to just think of themselves first. And culture today will kind of say that that's okay, that that's good. Every person for themselves. Fend for yourself. Take care of yourself. So imagine how attractive it is for the church, for the people of God, to be people who take a genuine interest in others. It's so attractive that Timothy gets called out for it. He gets called out and lifted up as an example for everybody else. And then after that, Paul name drops Epaphroditus. Now, he was the one who was sent on behalf of the Philippians to help take care of Paul. So he's one of them. He must have gotten sick during his travel, um, so much so that he nearly died, it says. And Epaphroditus heard that the Philippians heard how sick he was, and that caused him distress. So from Epaphroditus, we see his great love for his fellow church. We see his willingness to serve. He's to be honored, the only command in this first passage, um, to honor him because he almost died. He risked his life. He is a solid, faithful partner in the gospel. There's so much emotion in this passage. And I love that Paul included this section in his letter. Because at first we read it and we think it's about Timothy and Epaphroditus. In fact, that's, you know, in my Bible, like that's what this little uh, section is labeled. Um, But it's also about Paul. And I love this. This is something that just really kind of came to life for me recently about this. Thinking about Paul. It shows us not only Timothy and Epaphroditus' humanity, but it also shows us Paul's feelings and his emotions. And I think it's easy to skim over this real quickly. But in these few verses, there's a pretty wide variety of emotions. Um, We see distress. We see sorrow. But we also see eagerness and gladness. And we also hear anxiety. Um, Paul was truly glad to see Epaphroditus. And he was truly horrified at the thought of him dying. He shares that he had sorrow and that he had anxiety. But then he also commands the Philippians to welcome these men with joy. One of my temptations um, with, is, is to forget that Paul is human. Like, I just, I forget that. I, I, I know he's not Jesus, and yet I think that he's, like, still this better person, you know? Um, and we get a reminder in here that he has emotions, just like we do. It provides um, a bit of perspective on Paul for me, because I really did. I used to struggle so much with Paul thinking, gosh, he's so much better than every other person. I would read Paul and feel shame, you know, like, how am I possibly going to do that? Um, What do you mean you would rather die and go be with Jesus? I really actually like my life, you know, like I struggled with these things that Paul would say. Um, But I see Paul in a slightly different way now. I don't see him as being in a different league anymore. I see Paul as a person who knows how to hold sorrow and joy. He knows how to hold sorrow and joy with hope. He doesn't mean that everything is as it should be. It means that with Jesus as king, we will eventually get to where everything is as it should be. So his example teaches us to be fully human, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to feel emotions, and to trust God with those emotions. So these three examples were important for the Philippians, but they're also important for us too, because we need these examples. We need to see what does it look like to live as citizens of the gospel of the king. We want to look to people who have been there before us. We need that. That's why I think that's why it's important that we gather together. We need to know one another. We need to see each other in worship and in community Um, Because we need one another as those examples. We need examples of faithful living with practical application. So what does it actually look like to live as citizens of the kingdom? So with that in mind, I want to jump to chapter 4, where we're going to look at another example of people getting called out. And we're going to look at, I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And so Paul's calling out some more people now. So he says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, so there's a, a conflict happening, a problem going on between two women, Yodia and Syntyche. We don't get the details. Um, but it's obviously something significant for Paul to know about, and for Paul to include in his letter. These women are leaders who have worked alongside Paul. They're not bad women. They're not. Uh, they're not wolves. There's no indication that this issue has anything to do with them being women. Imagine being called out for this, okay? Like they, here, they are listening to this letter, and. You know they're they're listening. They're reading this letter together. The Philippians are together, and then bam, Yodia, Syntyche, listen, agree with each other in the Lord. Like imagine if I was standing right now, I was like, Stacy, Emily, okay, let's talk about this. Like, oh, does that make you just want to cringe? But that's what's happening. Paul is saying to them though, be intent on the same goal. We've mentioned this before, but Paul is talking about unity. He's not talking about uniformity. He's not saying we have to all do exactly the same thing, but be intent on the same goal. We might disagree on the route, but let's agree on the destination. Let's keep our eyes on the kingdom. I heard a pastor, this was so inspiring to me last year when I heard this, I heard a pastor talk about this when he said, when we keep our eyes fixed on the kingdom, we get the church every time. It's when we take our eyes off the kingdom that we build our own little empires. So, Lord, protect us. Protect all of us in this room right now. Protect us from building our own empires. Let's keep our eyes on the kingdom. So, like Iodia and Syntyche, we will have conflict. It's not a matter of if we will have conflict, but When? And I know that for some, like conflict is like makes you squirm and you want to avoid it at all costs. For some, maybe it gives us a little too much energy and power, but we need to figure out what is how do we actually respond? What do we do when conflict arises? And we deal with it. We don't bolt, we don't ignore it. We certainly don't just watch from the sidelines when we see it. Sometimes we need a mediator. Sometimes we need to be that mediator. What we do know is that we all have a responsibility to pray for unity. And I want to urge us all in here that when you pray for our church, and please, please make a habit of praying for our church. When you do, pray for unity among the body, among all of us in here. Pray for unity among leaders. Make it your prayer for unity. So when we do have conflict, When we have an issue that threatens unity, don't hide it, but deal with it and deal with it quickly. Conflict isn't always bad, um, but it's what we do with the conflict. People are watching. And as a Christian, the public eye is on us. When people see conflict in the church, what we want them to see is people working through differences, prioritizing the kingdom, prioritizing others before themselves. It's something that would cause them to pay attention. Are we doing life in a way that has people curious? In a way that is drawing people closer to the gospel, making them wonder, want to know more. We have to rise above this status quo, right? Of being, uh, we need to be careful not to forget that we are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus, not of this world. So be faithful to the king. So how do we do that? Okay, so this is the last passage of our, that we're going to look into. Um, we're going to look at, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9 now. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pres- present your request to God. and the peace of God, So, what is Paul saying? Paul wants the people of God to be known as a celebrating, joy filled people. This command to rejoice is not a call to ignore or forget the reality of our daily lives, it's not a call to toxic positivity or rose colored glasses or even just an override of appropriate sorrow. Paul just expressed his own mixed bag of emotions. You know, we already heard him talk about his sorrow and his anxiety and his eagerness and his gladness. He's a mixed bag here, okay? So we can't forget that, and we also can't forget that Jesus Himself had His own moments of grief and sorrow, of weeping and agony, both when His friend Lazarus died, and then when He was preparing for His own death. I loved uh, reading in Hebrews in this book. Hebrews 5, verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Would we rebuke Jesus? Would we say, You're to always rejoice? And what does that look like? No. So do we rejoice in our circumstances? Sometimes, right? Sometimes, yes. But what we know is we always rejoice in the Lord. We find our joy in Jesus, not in our circumstances. Sometimes both, but always in Jesus. And then Paul goes on to tell us to be gentle or to be compassionate. Give others the benefit of the doubt, I think is what he's trying to say here. And then here's the line that we all know do not be anxious about anything. But here's the deal. Before we can get to that line in scripture, we need to notice the line that comes right before it. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And the Lord being near is what should put everything into perspective for us. Because we cannot just make ourselves not be anxious There are plenty of opportunities to practice anxiety, right? (laughs) Um, So, when someone says don't be anxious, if someone tells you don't be anxious, what does that do to you? It makes you anxious, right? It makes you feel anxious. It makes me feel anxious. Um, But pause and hear this The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Our posture can change from an anxious uncertainty to a holy uncertainty. I don't know, but I trust you, Lord, because you are near. You know, and I think about this time um, last year during lockdown. For me, that was a very anxious time. I mean, you know, we all uh, had specific things that kind of stirred up in us, but all of a sudden, you know, everything's upside down and the kids are at home and we're figuring out school and it, it was. It's just a very difficult time. And I would feed my, my anxiety with news. And um, then I would try and parent from that place. And what came out was impatience or harsh words or frustration or just being really annoyed or ignoring my people. Um, so I started walking a lot. That became my thing um, during that season. I would put in my AirPods and I'd listen to music or I'd pray, but I'd have to get out. I'd have to get out. I'd have to get away from easy access to the news. I would come home and things would still be uncertain. Honestly, maybe they would have gotten worse. You know, the news was changing so quickly at that time that um, things were still very much uncertain, but the thing that changed was my posture. I don't know, and that's okay because I trust you. So I would leave the house with this anxious uncertainty, and I would come back with this holy uncertainty, and it would fill me up. And then you know what? A few hours later, I'd have to go on another walk. Like, it just, I just kept meeting the presence of God in a way that my phone and the news was not giving me. And it's because of God's presence that we're called to not be anxious. Instead, we're called to pray and to let the peace of God Guard our hearts and minds with thanksgiving. Pray about the things that matter, and the deep peace of God that doesn't always make sense will guard your heart and your mind. But how do we keep other things, other things from guarding our minds, right? Because that's really common too. It's not just a switch that we can flip. Like, okay, now I'm no longer going to be you know guarded by this stuff. I'm only going to be guarded by the Lord, the, the peace of God. Um, that's not the way it works, right? So Paul gives some practical advice here. He says whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, think about those things. Don't simply empty your mind, right but fill it with life-giving things. Fill up our minds. It's no accident that this follows um, after talking about anxiety that Paul's lifting up listing out these things to think about. Um, Because what we give our attention to is what we become. It's so easy, it's so tempting to fill our mind with evil, with negative thoughts, with chaos, with distractions, just numbing ourselves. And reflect on this for a moment. When do you find yourself the most anxious? And when you find yourselves really feeling that anxiety, really bubbling up in you, what content are you consuming I know the tension of wanting to be informed, of like really being in the know, of knowing what is happening all the time. I know that tension well. And I also know that my anxiety is directly tied in proportion to what I am dwelling on. Um, We don't want to be people who put our heads in the sand, right, who just ignore stuff. We want to engage in cultural matters and moments. But don't let the world set your agenda. Don't let the world set the agenda of what you should think, celebrate goodness, rejoice in the Lord, notice the good, find what's right, dwell on what is true, what is noble, and what is right. Guard your mind and set it on God's loving, joyful presence. And Paul says, and the peace of God will be with you. How we think matters, and it impacts our ability to rest with God, with the God of peace. In verse nine, Paul makes a bold statement. He says, whatever you have seen or heard from me, put it into practice. Remember, he's talking about himself there. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. Paul can say this because of who he is following. Follow me as I follow the king. It's like this childlike image of following the leader at school. Okay, so I, I know for Kate, it's a very, it was very exciting every time she got to be the line leader at school. Kate, who followed you when you were the line leader? Like the, the people in your class, right? They followed you as the line leader. And then who are you following? The teacher, yeah, you're still, you're following the teacher. Um, So that's what I like to have this image in my mind of follow the leader. Her classmates followed her, but she was following her teacher. And that's what Paul is saying here. You can follow me because I'm following Jesus. And this is good and right. This is discipleship. This is what we long for in our church. Be this person to others. Be the person that if someone is following you, they're following Christ lead by that example. And I want to be filled up with those people here. Paul's last thought in this passage is this. He says, the God of peace will be with you. We can't manufacture unity on our own. We can't just say we're going to be humble and then be humble. We don't naturally choose to love and serve others before ourselves. Our minds are prone to wander but it is by God's presence and his peace that we become people of humility that Paul is calling these Philippians to be. It's by um, God's presence and his peace that we also pursue unity, that we celebrate and we stand firm in right thinking. So we get to know the God of peace and we will have the peace of God. That's really what Paul's saying. Get to know the God of peace and you'll have the peace of God. So as we move into communion, here we have that. Consider this. For better or for worse, we are all examples. Um, we have call outs, we have we've had examples of different people living well and people who are not living well. Um, so for better or for worse, we're all examples. We are all examples, so let's be formed by Jesus, our only perfect example. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died a devastating death, but who defeated death by his resurrection so that we can be reconciled to God. And so with that truth in mind, open it, rejoice. <laughs> Rejoice at the work of the cross. Take and eat if you can. And as we are told to think of what is true and noble, think of lovely things, think of praiseworthy things. We think of Jesus, our perfect king, who perfectly loves you who humbled himself and became obedient, even to death, so that we may rejoice in the Lord always. So take and drink. And as we close in prayer, I want to give us time to just pray for our church and pray for each other in light of these things that we noticed There's this quote um, that N.T. Wright said that really struck me this week. He says, the church is the pilot project for the new creation. I love that, the pilot project for the new creation. So with that in mind, I'm going to lead us in a few minutes of prayer for just to pray for our church. So as I pray, I'll guide us through and you can just pray at your table together or you can pray out loud or you can pray in your soul of however it is that you want to. But let's pray for our church right now. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you always teach us. And right now, God, I want to pause and just pray for unity for our church. God, I thank you for the examples that you gave us in Scripture of people who have gone before. God, I pray for wisdom in our own church body. I pray that you would give us people um, to follow that would lead well with examples, with experience. And we just pray for for wisdom and experience right now, God. Finally, God, I just ask that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, our perfect King, or that we would dwell on things that are good and right and true and noble and praiseworthy. Lord, that we would be joy-filled people because of you, Lord, not because of circumstances, but because of you, God. And that that would be an attractive look to others on the outside, Lord. We pray that you would be with us. You would fill our minds. You would guard our hearts. Lord, help us to know you, the God of peace, so that we can have the peace of you.